Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. And then as soon as we wanted to watch it on that Forgotten Cinema, it goes to A&E, and I got to pay to rent it. She obliterates his area. He's back up fighting like there's no pain going through there. Lady, you're about five punches to the ball. That too late. guy. There's nothing down yeah. there but dust. That guy needs to be on the floor writhing in pain. Oh, man, he reads a lot. He's such a weird <laughs> man. He's so great. He's so much better than everybody. He is, right? Look oh at that review. Oh, my God. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we want to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us! Our podcast is available on all platforms, with a backlog of 175 episodes for your listening pleasure. I took a guess. That I think we are at 175 now. Ooh. So just that. Not bad. Not bad at all. How you doing? Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well. How was your week? Uh, it was all right. It was all. Uh, as you're texting, right. apparently you're not paying attention. Right. I don't pay attention. I, I was actually doing the math to make sure we were over 175. We are uh, way over 175. Are we? What are we at? We're at least at 180 something, if not 190 something. I mean, I don't really We're include those bonus it. episodes. I don't know if we should. Well, I was doing 14 times 13. So that means right. that even on our first episode, we hit 182. Yeah, no, I know that. But I'm saying, like, I don't know. I'm talking about if we fit 200 yet. Do we count those bonus no, apps? I don't think we count the bonus. We, we don't? Do you think anyone? So do you think anyone counts bonus apps? Oh, wouldn't they do their podcast? Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I don't think they should. All right. What are we doing today? We are doing the 1997 film Mouse Hunt, starring Nathan Lane and Lee Evans. When its string machine magnate father, Rudolf Smuntz, dies, brothers Ernie and Lars move into his decrepit mansion. Struggling to keep a promise to never sell the now unprofitable string factory, the brothers decide that restoring the house, the last built by a famous architect, could bring them a great deal of money. But during their restoration attempts, Ernie and Lars are continually frustrated by a malicious mouse that keeps destroying their efforts. This is... <laughs> I think I put this in my story and I don't know if you saw it. I did. It was basically kind of home alone. Yeah, Like the pitch. I could, I imagine that in the pitch meeting with this, the guy was just like, it's like home alone, except Kevin is a mouse. And they were like, deal. I never thought about it that way. But as I was watching <laughs> this time, I was like, I can see where you're coming from for sure. Well, I mean, I can understand why that, you know, it's seven years from, uh, home Alone. Right. So I'm sure it was probably. That's probably part of the pitch. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I mean, you know, how, we all know how films get made. This has a runtime of 98 minutes. It's rated PG. Was supposed to be PG 13, but they had to cut I stuff saw back. That they cut a lot of and there was stuff out. in there that I was like, Man, is this really a PG film? Uh, production budget of $38 million. It came out on December 19th, 1997, which was obviously a holiday film. Opening weekend, it did $6 million domestic. 61.9 international 60.5 for a worldwide total of 122.4 million dollars which so it's a it's a hit probably because it's a kids film and it came out on the holidays so mm -hmm. we probably all know what that's like production company and distributor are the same they are dreamworks pictures this is actually dreamworks pictures second film that they ever did do you remember do you know what their first one is 
Uh, I never saw it. I saw what it was, but I can't remember it because I've never seen it before. So. George Clooney, Nicole Kidman. Oh, The Peacemaker. Yes. Which yes. I've never seen, which I've always, I remember the trailer for it. Right. But I never ended up watching it. They're basically trying that. to find a dirty bomb in New York City. That's all I can remember. That is. Running around the streets. That's what it is. I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I saw it in the theater and I haven't seen it since. Right. I don't remember hating it. But I don't remember a lot of it. I, I do remember them running around looking for it, but I don't remember a lot of anything. Do they else. find it? I, they do, but I don't remember how they disarm it or whatever. I do remember something about either it being thrown through a window or somebody gets thrown through a window or they're thrown through a window. I don't know. Maybe that should be one I revisit. <laughs> so I said this came out of the 19th of December, went up against in a wide release. Tomorrow Never Dies, Butler. That's right. But that wasn't the big film that day. The big film that day was Titanic. <laughs> Three hours of Titanic. Um, there was room on the door. There was room on the door. So my sister saw Titanic eight times. So I always tell her, like, I didn't always tell her, but back then I was like, you saw that, you saw that movie in the span of a day. It's 24 hours. She watched 24 <laughs> hours of Titanic. Uh, so limited release that weekend. You also had The Apostle. Uh, now, the week after, so now it's the 19th, the week after is the 26th, but obviously, I don't know if you were aware of this, but movies come out on Christmas Day, and mm -hmm. sometimes they come out a couple of days before Christmas. So, the 23rd of December, you had a limited release of As Good As It Gets. Then I, movie. Uh, agreed. Then As Good As It Gets gets a wider release on Christmas Day, along with The Postman, underrated, Mr. Magoo, it's underrated, mm. not Mr. Magoo, <laughs> An American <laughs> Werewolf in Paris. And Jackie Brown. I've never seen American Werewolf in Paris as much as I love American Werewolf in London. It's uh, it, you, it's probably what you expect in a sequel. So bad, not bad. Just why and okay, it was made like that kind of thing. Gotcha. Um, you also had a limited release on Christmas Day: Wag the Dog and Kundun. Uh, Wag the Dog's pretty good. Kundun, I saw maybe twenty minutes of. So the twenty sixth, which is the day after, you had a wide release of Amistad. And a limited release of Afterglow. Oh, the day after Christmas. Yes. Okay. Maybe I'm now. I can't remember because I was obviously at the theater at this time in '97. Can't remember if midnights were a big deal back then. I think they were. I'm wondering if there was a midnight of Amistad on Christmas Day. Okay. Because this was before they kind of had an embargo on all that stuff. Sure. Where you wouldn't have the 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 Christmas Eve midnights and stuff like that. So I'm wondering if Christmas Day. I mean, I know there were generally midnights on Christmas Day all the time. Right. I'm wondering if there was a midnight showing of Amistad. Oh. Be interesting, like a, like an advanced screening is what I'm saying. Gotcha. The week before the 12th, you had a wide release of Scream 2, Home Alone 3, and For Richer or Poorer, and a limited release of the Woody Allen film Deconstructing Harry. So Scream 2 is probably your big thing there. In terms of what Mouse Hunt's main competition is, you're probably you're looking at Home Alone 3 pretty much. Yeah, which. Was not that good. No one cared about no. it. Yeah, no, because Kevin's not in it. Yep. It's a new kid. It's a new whole new thing. It's like, it's like all, it's the one where the house is like a, not a smart house, but it's got all these like defense systems. Something like that. Yeah. I never even really saw the whole thing. Yeah. This is uh, directed by this movie. Mouse Hunt is directed by Gore Verbinski. It's actually his feature film directorial debut. He has won an Oscar for because Rango won Best Animated Picture, and he was a producer on that, so he has one Oscar for that. He's also, uh, he's also done the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy, the first three. The Lone Ranger, which is an episode we did, Butler, yes. the Mexican, and his last film, 
and correct me if I'm wrong, I couldn't find anything else, was a cure for wellness. And that was 2016. He hasn't done anything I since believe so. 2016. Well, from what I read in his biography, he prefers to live a quiet life with his family. So maybe he just hasn't found something that he really wants to do. True. And you also had the pandemic that popped up. So, I mean, you you know, that probably, a lot of people probably just didn't want to work for those two, three years. Yeah, he's probably like, I don't want to deal with all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I, I understand that. I also didn't realize he was the director of all the Budweiser frog the commercials. Frog commercials yes. I didn't realize yeah. that. One of my notes is the people that do the uh, effects here, Rhythm and Hughes, also did the effects the for the Budweiser Frogs. Frogs. Yeah. I also didn't realize he was American. For some reason, I always had in my mind when he was interviewed for Pirates that he had an accent. Hmm. Oh. German. But I guess, I mean, I don't know why I thought that. Do you think people know? Do you think there's a section of our audience that doesn't understand who the Frogs for the Budweiser commercial were? Oh, for sure. Yeah, you think? Oh, sure. I, mean, I think our audience skews a little older as us. I think they, they do skew a little older, but I think some people even my age don't remember the Frogs. Interesting. I always, I always remember. I love oh, the frogs. Those, those I, were big. I were always big. remember the frogs' last Super Bowl commercial because they got eaten. Yeah, like I love that. That's how they killed them off. Well, because they were a big thing, and then it got annoying. <laughs> but why? And then the crocodile ate her. And yeah, then they ate sir. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was written by Adam Rifkin, who's written Small Soldiers, Underdog, and the last movie star that's more recent. He also wrote something we wrote. Oh, what did it, he? We wrote something. He wrote the uh, something you hated. <laughs> What did I hate? Uh, I mean, other than everything, he uh, Rango. I forgot to have it. Oh damn! Stop bringing up Rango, man. Rango's <laughs> good. <laughs> oh shit! What did he? He wrote something. I was like, oh my god, he wrote that. Oh, he wrote the chase, which we did on. Uh, did he really write the, the chase? Podcast. Oh, you're yes. right. Didn't he direct Chase? Did he direct the chase. He might have been written. He and did. Didn't by... he direct it? He directed the yes, chase. Yes, he wrote and directed the chase. Yes, that's right. I didn't hate the chase. I just don't think it's as good as I did it. Oh, you hated the chase. I, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I'm just not a fan. But that doesn't mean it's not. That doesn't mean anyone else that liked it. You can't. You certainly. I can be wrong. That's uh, fun. That's funny. His opinion changes depending on what podcast. No, no, no. Go and watch Listen, the fight podcast. You need to under what well, you need to understand that when we're doing podcasts, it's not just me talking. It's entertainment. So you need to be. You know, <laughs> you need to play that part. It's playing a role. It's all entertainment. None of this is real. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what's not going to be real. Me, me butchering this next name. Cinematography photographer was feed on papa michael i don't know if that's his name <laughs> like if he ever listened to this podcast he'd probably just come and beat me up i apologize <laughs> he and he's been nominated for two oscars for the trial of chicago seven and nebraska and he is next one of his next films is indiana jones five what is the name of that is it just it five right it now it doesn't have a, a subtitle right. yet yeah indiana jones and spielberg didn't direct this is that what it's gonna be called indiana jones and the oops we shouldn't have done this whoops what are we doing uh harrison ford is only in five percent of this film Composer was lucky. <laughs> composer was Alan Silvestri, who's been nominated for two Oscars, one for the Polar Express, the other for Forrest Gump. He's also uh, done a bunch of Marvel films, including the Avengers Endgame. Actually, he no, Michael Giacchino did the uh, fanfare thing, right? Mm -hmm. Edited by Craig Wood, who's done the Eternals, the Weatherman, and Tomorrowland, an episode we did, mm -hmm. and then produced by Bruce Cohen, Tony Ludwig, and Alan Reich. Cohen is nominated for two Oscars for Silver Lining Playbook and Milk. He actually won an Oscar for American Beauty, which won Best Picture. Ludwig has a Deep Blue Sea and The Family Man, and Reese has in The Legend of Tarzan, which we did, and Southpaw. This movie doesn't have a big cast. Nathan Lane plays Ernie Smuntz from The Birdcage, The Producers, and Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, amongst other things. Lee Evans Lar plays Lars Smuntz, his brother. Uh, it, the whole movie, all I'm thinking about is the character and there's something about Mary. That's all <laughs> I kept thinking about, which he's in. And he's also in The Fifth Element and The Ladies Man. William Hickey 
in his last role, plays Rudolf Smuntz. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for Prissy's Honor. He's also in The Name of the Rose and obviously Christmas Vacation. He's the uncle that burns the tree. Oh, man. All I could think of when I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, this is the uncle from Christmas Vacations. Yeah, this? he actually passes away before principal photography ended, but they had already shot all the scenes. And I guess it said it didn't have to do a lot of major rewrites. So there must have been some stuff he came back for. But, right. But it, he unfortunately passed away before they finished the yeah, film. Yeah, I guess he was really sick, which he yeah. looks very frail. He, he, passed, he died. He was died or he was ill with uh, emphysema. Vicky Lewis plays April Smuntz, who is Lars's wife. She's from the TV show News Radio and the 1998 Godzilla film. Maury Chaikin as Alexander Falco, who's not even in it that long. He's in the TV show Near a Wolf and the movie Dances with Wolves. Michael Jeter as Quincy Thorpe, another person that's not even in it that long. He's the original Mr. Noodle in Sesame Street, which we had that discussion in our Popeye episode. Yep. He's also in The Green Mile and the movie Open Range, which we did on our show. I don't know what season. And then Christopher Walken as Caesar, the exterminator. Now, Christopher Walken is an Oscar winner. Do you remember what movie he won Oscar for? Do you know what mo- he's been nominated twice? Okay. Won once. So do you know what movie he was nominated for? It's more recent. Um, I think I know what he won. What did he win for? I think he won probably for the deer. hunter. He did win for the deer hunter. But I mean. More recent. I'm going to say Pulp Fiction, but that's not really. No, recent catch me if you can. Was not I forget he's in that. He's the two mice in a the, bucket of cream. He's yeah. the dad in that? Yes, he's okay. the he's yeah, the yeah. Abigail's father. I haven't watched that in years. Oh, that's a great film. He's also in the Dead Zone. Do you remember? Did you see the Dead Zone I when he was? Dead yeah, Zone Dead Zone's really yeah. good. When I he's ca- trying to convince him not to go, and he's just acting yeah. crazy. I love that yep, scene. Yep. Uh, and then you had Mario Cantone in here for fans of Mario Cantone. He played one of the Zepco suits. He's obviously, I think he's probably more more famous for Sex in the City, right? Probably. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But that's about it. Uh, so we had both seen this before. Mike likes to put kids' films on. Oh, you have seen it before? I ha- I I can't say I remembered a lot of it. Okay. But I do remember seeing it. And this was back when I first started working in the theater in 93. You just watched anything. I did. what I would watch whatever came out. I don't know if we had this film. I want to say we might have because this feels like a fourplex film, like the theater that I was at. Or, or like maybe even like the show, the other Milford theater that was down the road. I know I saw it in theater. So I saw it in one of those two, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so I did. I know I saw it. Don't. I did not remember a lot of it. Um, honestly, I'm trying to think that I don't remember. I. I knew that Nathan Lane was in it. Like I, I, I have visions of remembering Nathan Lane, but no idea about <laughs> anything else. else. Is, had you not seen this since then? I haven't seen this in quite some time. Interesting. Probably. I mean, I had watched it as it popped up in on like Showtime mm-hmm. or HBO or this or that. So I, I'd caught like the end a few times growing up. So I had only just watched it in 1997, but I don't think I'd seen the whole thing through. In a long, long time. I never owned it. Okay. But I remember really liking it. I, I never forget Christopher Walken eating the mouse poop. Oh, yeah. Uh, Which that mouse poop is not what mouse poop looks like. But yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember a lot of the more like just that I remember the sets being cool. I remember it looking really good. Mm-hmm. What do you and think? obviously I remember the ending. Now, what about now? I still really like it. I, I didn't laugh at loud as much as I did when I was a kid. Right. Um, but it's not meant for me now. It's meant for me back, you know, in 1997 when I was 10. Sure. Uh, but I still like a whole lot of it. More so this time, I more appreciated what seemed like the ad-libbing from Nathan Lane, uh, Lee Evans, the kind of slapstickiness of that. And I really enjoyed the set design and the cinematography. I thought the set design and cinematography were so good for a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. Like this was obviously Gore Vavinsky trying to be like, I can do movies. This is this is what I can do. But it doesn't like the whole the whole note I had earlier, and we could talk about it a little bit now is the fact that it was originally PG thirteen, right? 
And um, so that doesn't was make he, any sense did he, at all. Was he not intending to do a kid's film? That's what it seems like. I'm sure DreamWorks was. Yeah. And maybe he was like, oh, just do this. I like this. And DreamWorks coming in and saying, you're cutting that out. We're, we told you to cut that. Out. Yeah. Well, I also feel like the stuff with uh, Falco, who's played by Chagan and Michael Jeter, with Quincy Thorpe, they're there because they, they got inherited a house and it's a LaRue. It's worth a lot of money. So it's they want to- like 600000 Yeah. No. <laughs> and they want to uh, auction it and sell it off. Right. And- that kind of goes away. That whole plot line goes away. And then they create this plot line where they took out an extra, they took out a mortgage on the house, which you never heard of for, for $1,200 to buy that tub, I guess. Yep. And then all of a sudden now they had to pay the money back in order to keep the house. And the whole auction stuff kind of went away. And I'm wondering if that was worked with, that was part of the original script or maybe part of when it was PG 13. It might've worked more into it, but yeah, I was wondering that too. You don't need the extra that $1,200 thing, because you could just say that was the last of our money. Yeah. Yes. They don't have any money. They need to sell the house. You already knew their need to sell the house right from the get-go that mm -hmm. they had no money. Neither of them had jobs. The string factor wasn't making any money. Ernie had no restaurant. I thought the same thing. I thought that was an unnecessary time crunch that they gave them. You need to have this done right. by the, the, maybe so that the auction could be the last straw. It just felt like the third act got changed mid movie. It felt like they were trying one thing and they had to do another. And I mean, at that point, maybe who cares? It's for kids. Kids are laughing because they're falling down. The mouse is beating them up. Sure. And, and okay. You could have done that without the. Uh, I just, it, it, it felt like it fell apart. It felt like the story aspect of the third act fell apart. You know, obviously you wrap up the stuff for the carriage and stuff like that. Okay, fine. Yeah. And again, it's a kid's film. They don't really care about the mortgage and whether they're auctioning the house and all that stuff. Like, I didn't even picture like the whole stuff at the end with the string factory and how they're stringing cheese. And I was like, I don't even understand. Like, I didn't even expect this. I thought that came from more from the beginning of the movie. I remember that the mouse did food stuff, mm -hmm. but I thought he did. I remember in the theater, like he did more food stuff. Like, I thought he did more than just make that one sandwich to kind of hint that mm -hmm. the string thing was coming. But in the end, the string thing just came out of the end just to have the mouse. Also to have an ending. For yeah. no reason. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that some, do you think that the people that created Ratatouille watched this film or like, oh, I think there's something here. Absolutely. <laughs> I know that the people who watched mouse, watched Ratatouille who did mouse hunt were like, now every poster has to be Ratatouille. Yeah. Because the yeah. poster is now just the mouse with a chef hat and making sandwiches. It's like. That's literally probably three minutes of this whole entire movie. Yeah. Do you remember the trailer that came out where it was there? It was what Disney. Do oh, you remember that? The Mickey ears. With the yeah. Olive. Yeah. Uh, you can't find yeah. that anywhere. Maybe on YouTube. But yeah, I remember that it was like a teaser or something. Yeah. It was like, oh, we're having a problem with this, this mouse. And that was it's also because so this film was in a bidding war between Fox and Disney. And if you know the history of DreamWorks, DreamWorks is Jeffrey Katzenberg, David Geffen, and Spielberg form right. their own studio. Form, and they, I think they've now they're just under the Paramount. Uh, uh, they're like so, a shingling yeah. of Paramount. They're not their own studio anymore. But Katz, they did this because Katzenberg had a, was uh, worked for Disney with Michael Eisner, the CEO at the time, and yeah. they had a huge falling yeah. out. So he left. So and they formed DreamWorks and. Fox and Disney were going after this film and Katzenberg entered the bit to go after to like, kind of like, you know, give a what for to, to Disney and he got it. He stole mouse on. So I think spent so much money to yeah. win against the two. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's where it came in like that. Like they got this film just kind of like a middle finger to Disney 
And so I'm curious with that teaser. That's obviously another shot, you know, at oh, Disney. Yeah. yeah so they have a couple of moments of that in the, in the script as well, where they kind of poke fun at Disney. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So yeah, I definitely noticed that, and I appreciated that. <laughs> You're not a big Disney fan. I love Disney, but they're also super evil. So <laughs> I'm also okay when people go All after right. that. But also Nathan Lane, the main character, is you know Timon. Pumbaa's in it as well. Yeah. He's the uh, the guy who runs the yeah the pound. So, so let's talk about the pound because I felt like when they got to the city pound, I entered a Terry Gilliam film. I thought the same thing. Yeah. I thought that the pound was like it's from Brazil. Yeah. That's exactly my uh, note. As soon as I got in the pound, I'm like, We're, I'm in a different film. Like yep. I am in a completely different movie and I don't understand. Like, what are we doing now? I feel like the, the film didn't know what style or what decade to put it. So yeah. they borrowed a lot. But yes, I had the exact same but, note that that was absolutely like a pound that you would see in the movie. Brazil. Yeah. They, there's a, there's a lot of different styles that are spanning the decades from the forties to the nineties, you know, and that's fine. we've seen other films do it before. Sure. Yeah. I have a note that says, if you look at the quarter that they flipped, oh, I saw that. It's, yeah. It's like, okay, fine, but whatever. But like, also I'm, Pretty sure that quarter is a huge giant quarter. I've seen, it's got to be an oversized, yeah, spun it which is cool. I like that effect, and there's a lot of practicals in this, which I appreciate. Um, but yeah, I, that the city pound scene, I was just like, oh, all right, so now we're just in a different thing. We're just in a weirdness. And also speaking of Lion King, did you hear him say Akuna Matata? I did. So Nathan, so Nathan Lane, when he's in the when he's in his when he's the chef in there right it's when they're when the, they find the cockroaches that scene no it's when toward the it? end right at the auction and he's saying oh. hello to all the people there's the uh right the muslim guy who walks through and he just shakes the sheik yes the sheik. he goes uh kuna matata yeah yeah so that's a little bit of a wink and nod there to let like at the end he goes i'd like to speak to you about maybe becoming a spokesperson i know another company who's the master <laughs> spokesperson it turned out pretty well for them <laughs> you gotta like that stuff <laughs> <laughs> Did you, when the movie started for you and the music starts, were you like, I've heard this music before? That was my first note is yeah. actually, this is my second note is the mouse hunt theme after this film was uh, out, was used everywhere after this. Well, I have a list of the trailers that it's in because I couldn't, I couldn't picture it, right. but I was like, I know I've heard this music before. So apparently right. it was in the trailer for Chicken Run, The Master of Disguise, The Cat in the Hat. A series of unfortunate events and son of the mask. Now, do you remember anything else that it might have been in? I'm sure it was used in a few other things as yeah. well. Yeah, I just remember it being used a ton of times. Yeah. Over and over and over again. I mean, it's a, it's obviously a good score, so that's why you yeah. heard it everywhere else. I just I as soon as it came on, I was like, I know this song. <laughs> it's a great trailer score because you can kind of cut it whenever you want. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because the whole thing is do 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 do. Oh yeah, do, do, do. doing it now. And then boom, you can cut it right there, so <laughs> you can have that repeat on onward and over. Forever. Right, right. So, what did you think of? Because we're obviously going to talk about the mouse. <laughs> what it, what effect or what practical effect stood out the most for you? I love the mouse um, when he's in bed, when he finally gets into his right, bed and he yeah. gets the covers over himself. Right. And the nail comes through and you see a shocked expression. Like, I was like, oh my God, they're using a real, like a real animatronic uh, mouse at that point. Mm -hmm. And that really, like, I love that point in the movie because I was mm -hmm. watching, I was like, I love it. <laughs> he's, he's running and you see the nails, although apparently it was a real mouse and the nails were just way far ahead. But then when he gets right. pinned again, it's the animatronic uh, mouse. Right. And that again looks really good. And when he's like, Closing his eyes before the nail hits him in the head. I felt bad for that mouse more than I would a CG. Cause like it just, it's so much more tangible to see something that's real. And I think the 
animatronic was so well done and it's so well designed that I really thought like hey, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I loved those scenes because that was the closest I think you get to the animatronic. Well, when when he's in the bed, when it pulls the covers up, that's right. that's the that's the the effect. But the mouse getting into bed and closing his eyes is the mouse. Is the real mouse. Is the mouse. All the real mice. Right. All so, yeah. So, the um, animal trainer Boonar trained 60 mice to perform the stunts and tricks in the film. And he has them in teams of four or five. Depending on what the actions are, they're able to perform. They climb, run, jump, retrieve, all that stuff. It took eight months to train all the mice. My favorite note about the mice is that they refuse to work on the same set as the cats <laughs> that played Catzilla. There were four separate cats that played Catzilla and they wouldn't work on the same set at them. I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> I like to note that most of the mice got adopted. by the Yeah, cast because they were naming them after the cast and crew and then after the shooting, they adopt them, which is pretty cool. I mean, you're going to. Um, but what Mike was talking about is right when there's a scene when the mouse is running uh, and they, they're nailing the molding into the wall. Yep. That's really the mouse mouse running with the nails coming in but the way they shot it is it's a trick it's a the mouse is nowhere near the nails He's they, way behind yeah right and they just kind of like moved it in there um the, when the mouse walk runs up the um to the cherries yeah and he and with the whole thing with the mouse traps so the two notes there when he's running up there and that's a they train the real mouse to run on the rose so the rose would dip down and then go and then yeah so yeah. that's all real and the mouse traps are all real there's 800 mousetraps that they set out and they were all rigged from underneath the floor. And so they all went off. So those are all legit happening. And not only that, they had to do it a couple times. Like right. It didn't just work the first time. And I know like I know. And again, here's here's going to come another pitch for practical over CGI. Yes, that's hard work to do to put all those together. But when it's done and it happens and you know you did that. That's so much rewarding then. Uh, just pretend the mousetraps are going off. We're going to put it in yeah. post. And th- that's just, and it would look bad. It would just look bad. Oh, even even today, I don't know if it'd look great, but back yeah. then it would have looked terrible. Yeah. And like when they're going off, you can tell the way the, the cheese is flying and yep. the pieces of cheese it's are great. everywhere. It looks awesome. The only thing about that scene I question is why the heck is Ernie and Lars, why they're not going to get, they're not going to get snapped. Just stay still. Yeah. But they decide to roll into it. <laughs> Gets <laughs> but, on that but whatever. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that, I thought that was a great note. And speaking of the cats, We'll go back to CGI. I thought the CGI of the cat legs coming out. That was terrible. Yes. I didn't think that held up at all. I didn't like that at all. Yeah. So the cat comes in, they put the box down, the cat's four, four legs pop out and the cat starts running with the, with the box. I thought it was, I thought I was fine with the cat coming out of the box and it was obviously an animatronic cat. Right. I was fine with that, you know, but like the cat running and it was CGI, it was, it just, it just, it's like, go back and redo that. <laughs> it was one mean pussy. Yeah, I'm surprised that was in the movie. Yep, that was that's another the movie. Thing. I was like, wow, that's a that's a weird line. So that's a line that Nathan Lane says. Ernie Smunt says that. I also think he says the F word when no. he hits his head through the ceiling. I did not, not even catch like, that. What the f-? I'm pretty sure he Maybe says they the cut F-word, it. They Maybe they cut it. It's just like they didn't notice, but yeah. I'm pretty sure he says it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. There were some there were some moments I thought. The stuff with the, what was the moment when he was saying that he hadn't been with a woman? Is that what it was when they were talking and Lars was like, I haven't been with a woman or Ernie was like, I, something about being with a woman or something like that. And it was, I was like, this, like, it was really close. I'm like, this is not PG. I had a look well, at that sure. point. Yeah. 
But back then, like that kind of stuff was in kids' movies. Like that wasn't that shocking. Maybe, yeah, maybe we're being sensitive. Like the the wife taking off her clothes and is like the weird 1930s type mm-hmm. negligee she had on. Yeah. It was like that's no difference from like the Adams family films of the time. So mm-hmm. I was like, I was okay with that. Yeah. Although according to deleted scenes, again, it was like a PG thirteen, she was boning some dude on the side the whole time. Which right. is why she's got the nurse outfit on when well, she goes the lawyer comes to visit. Right. There's actually three times that she is greeted at the door. There's three different times when someone comes to the door looking for Lars after he was kicked out and she's dressed differently. Once was the nurse outfit. Then she had a nun's habit on. And I don't remember what the third one was, but like, so there was, there was stuff that they were doing there with her, like not being faithful to her husband right, yeah. and, that, and that kind of stuff. Um, there Which, was also, what's up? Go ahead. Well, I don't like, she doesn't get her comeuppance. Mm. Like at the end, she ends up with the super rich Texan. Yo, you're right. So yeah. she ends up happy. Like the whole thing is like, Oh, her dress is trailing out the side of the door. It's like, it's already ruined. So who cares? Yeah. She gets a rich guy and she's happy. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think I think that had everything to do with just, okay, wrap it up or whatever it it is. They also cut out there in the original script. There's a scene where Ernie and Lars goes to sleep and they both have musical dream sequences that they cut out. Right. So and it's like played to the song. We're in the money. So they both they cut that out as well. So I'm okay with that being cut out. That seems so different from the rest of the movie. Mm hmm. Although I'm sure Gore Verbinski would have done something really cool and weird with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe. What did you think about the cinematography in the film? Uh, I liked it. What you had mentioned before. I mean, the set of the house is nice. All that looks good. And that's a nice set. Yeah. So, I mean, and they, and it's lit. Like it's almost like, I don't want to say like Adam's family, like with, with Sonnenfeld's Adam Sam, Adam's family, but it's, very almost like Casper. I was thinking Casper, yeah, that the was Mobile Pullman, yeah. like that kind of that kind of look, that that kind of eight nineties haunted house, haunted look, house yeah. kids look, kind of like what, however that is. It's bright, it's creepy, but not too creepy. There's light, there's yeah, light there's ambiance. The shadows. Yeah. I always like a good set in terms of the when they're outdoor and they're on the the street and it's snowing and all that stuff. I always like the set, right. the outside street sets. I mean, because yeah, I mean, I know it's not real, but it still looks good. And, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it it was, it looked good. I think my only, I don't like, I like this film and I don't really have a lot of negatives. I, I just think there's clearly stuff that happened for them to wrap it up script wise that just kind of falls apart and they just oh, end yeah. it. And that's it. I mean, that's my, that's my only thing, but again, it's not, it's not for me. So kids don't care <laughs> about that. Yeah. I don't. No, if I cared the first time, but the second time around, I hate the hose thing at the end. Oh. Using the hose and then it breaks and they just leave it. Like, why would you think that was a good idea to begin with? <laughs> it's water damage to the house. It's worse than using the shotgun. They didn't mm-hmm. want to use the shotgun. Yeah. It's like, of course it's going to ruin the house. No. So I didn't, I did not like that final bit of it. They ruin, and the house gets torn up, especially when the extern, when Caesar is, you know, pulled out. Oh yeah, absolutely. When yeah. he goes down the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that's. Well, that's those are that's a nice effect. You yeah. know, it looks great, but it's just like that house is torn apart. <laughs> and they fix it in two days. Did you get the idea that um I guess the inspiration for the Ernie and Lars was from Laurel and Hardy? See, that's the, I get so well, that's kind of Nathan Lane always has that kind of sure, especially like his Broadwayness of it. Mm-hmm. Like he kind of has that Laurel and Hardy look to him. So yeah, but also it takes place in that time. So yeah. And it's slapsticky. It's hard not to put that on them. I feel like they go to maybe they don't go far enough if they wanted to. Like I talked, we talked about how it's home alone. Sure. But they don't really go yeah, don't that far. Yeah. They, they kind of stay 
in this middle lane where, and I guess, cause you're supposed to feel for them. You're supposed to root for them at some point. So they're not the wet bandits. So they can't be. Oh evil. yeah. They're not bad guys. Right. Yeah. So you, 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 you don't have the luxury of just like having the mouse beat the crap out of them. They don't, they aren't the ones getting locked in the trunk. And right. Tortured, right. Which I love when he plays the tape recorder. He's clearly getting tortured. <laughs> what are you doing with that? <laughs> <laughs> We're not dealing with an ordinary mouse. <laughs> <laughs> So the original title for this was Mousetrap. Do you think they didn't call it that because of the, of the game? That's what I was thinking. And I, yeah. for some reason, think, I remember Mousetrap gonna be, was going to be a movie, or it is a movie, or was, it was that, that the board game was optioned to be a film. I could say option every oh, I know, the course board game do. to be a film at this point. This movie also had a quick turnaround because this is the film between March and July of 97 for a December 97 release. That's a fast turnaround. I mean, now this, this movie probably wouldn't have been pushed to the summer or something like that. Oh, that's some would have been a terrible. Oh no, no. I think yeah. I actually think it's a it. Its release date is really good. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Titanic to be as huge as it was, but Mouse Hunt's that's not its competition. Its competition was Home Alone three, and sure, yeah. I mean, it drowns that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think people kind of knew that Home Alone three wasn't going to be what Home Alone one and two, one and two were. Two, yeah. So I think they already knew it was a soft, soft entry into the franchise of Home Alone. So. <laughs> Are you yeah. saying the newest Home Alone is not the reboot that everyone was hoping for? It's no. It's <laughs> it's I, I watched it. I, I Home Alone. What was it called? Oh, I don't even know. Home Alone something something. Home it was Alone, a, we're trying again. It was a streamer because it went straight to Disney know, Plus, yeah. right? Yep. It was no, it was no bueno. No. Oh, you know. <laughs> I'm just getting out of a tangent. So at the end of the movie, they're sitting around a table at this person's house. Because, you know, oh, it's Christmas. It's the end of the movie. And it's all CGI'd. Like the all, like inside the house they're in is mm -hmm. fake. Oh. So like they're sitting at a table and obviously there's green all around them. And I'm like, really? You couldn't just get a set? Like it was, it was bad. That's I hated crazy. it. I That's hated so lazy. it. Right. It was like, get it done. We got to get it out. It was, uh, it was terrible. Mouse Hunt would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is something, there is something to say for practical and being there and just building your sets. I mean, it just makes you, it makes the experience of performing, I've, you know, and, and, and directing like, you More know, real, yeah. yeah, it makes it real for you. I mean, yes, you're playing make-believe, but you want to actually have stuff there to play make-believe with. I mean, there's real mice. There's the yes. animatronic mouse. There's, there's rats used as body doubles. Yeah. The rats. There's the lighting. There's, you know, the guy's hand, I guess, between behind the uh, the fan uh, pulling I the string. That, the yeah. string factory. Although I didn't notice the hand. I didn't I notice watching. it either. Because you don't care. You're, you're exactly. into the movie. You know, the real sets, the factory is really cool looking. I really like the factory set as well. Not just the house set. Yeah, no, all the sets look great. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Especially people that are jaded like you and I who just watch <laughs> movies. When bad CG pops up, you're just like, CG. It takes you out. CG. When bad CG, CG pops up, it takes you out of the movie. And even in this film, I talked about the Cadzilla scene. Like, that took me out. Yeah. It takes you out of the film. But like you said, when Cadzilla bursts from the box, it's really bad. That's a, unlike the mouse, that's a really bad animatronic. Sure. But I'm still like. It's real. It's actually there. They actually built it. So that's cool. Yeah. But like half the thing and like the end of the movie kind of pissed me off because they'd been using <laughs> the real mice the whole time. And the no. mouse on his shoulder with the chef's hat doesn't even look like the mouse we've been watching the rest of the film. It's not even the same color. Yeah. I was just like, ah, why? Why I wonder, don't you just have an animatronic uh, mouse? Do you think that was like later on? Or do you think that was in principal photography? Or do you think that was? I don't uh, know. Because I was thinking the same thing. I was wondering if maybe it's. They changed it, the ending. Right. And they're like, well, now we don't have that mouse anymore, so we're going to put a CG mouse in there. I, uh, Unless Nathan Lane's super afraid of mice and he didn't want anything on his shoulder. Which um, I don't believe. No. 
I'm not going to eat peanut butter provolone. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you know, curry, uh, curry cheese or whatever. More curry. Would you be now? Now I'm not saying in replace of this, but I almost felt like I would have been interested in what kind of movie it would have been in terms of Caesar versus the mouse, like an actual just villain versus the mouse, like a whole movie about that. I think that would have been cool because because when he got there, like Christopher Walken's great, but when Christopher Walken's there, it's like you're like I'm you're really into it because he's oh, all yeah. like. You know, I did want there to be more of him versus. Yeah, the it was a little quick, but they they put so much emphasis in the plot lines that don't matter, mm-hmm. which is at that point that's when they lost the twelve thousand, and so it's just like the twelve grand is the most important thing, which mm-hmm. undercuts them just needing to get this house ready for the auction, mm-hmm. which is a much even especially for a kids movie, a much clearer storyline, much cleaner storyline. And they got to bungle that and they could have been an easily done like another 10, 15 minutes with Caesar. Yeah, I think so. I would have, I would have been okay with more Caesar because, because uh, when Christopher Walken's there, it's you, like I said, you're just into it and he's into it and you know, he's into it. Calcium deficiency. Interesting. Roger Ebert didn't like this film, Butler. You know, Roger Ebert doesn't like a lot of things I like. He, get, he gave I, it two stars. That's, that's. You know, Roger Ebert, wherever you are. I was going to say, he's passed away, Butler. Be Uh, careful. Tread carefully. Tread carefully. Is he going to haunt me? He called it not very (laughs) funny and maybe couldn't have been very funny no matter what, because the pieces for comedy are not in the place. A comedy that hasn't assigned sympathy to some characters and made others hateful cannot expect to get many laughs because the audience doesn't know who to laugh at or with. I kind of agree with that. And we talk about that a little in terms of, but I should say this, not because it's not out of. They don't know what's going on. It's like, but we, we like we said, the the Smuns brothers aren't the wet bandits, so they're not the bad guys. You right. can't give them that. But like, on a, like Ernie, though, I remember Ernie kind of being irredeemable when I first watched it mm-hmm. and in my subsequent like partial watches. But I forgot, like I wrote the note that I liked that the cockroach is the inciting reason that the Lane Ernie, Nathan Lane or Ernie wants to get the mouse. Because he says, believe me, I know a single vermin can bring you down Mm -hmm. because he's thinking of the mouse as the cockroach that ruined his restaurant. Right. And I never really put two and two together when I watched the original thing. So I always thought of Ernie as more vindictive and not earning Mm -hmm. everything he gets at the end. But when I watch this, it's like, okay, it makes sense why he wants he has a motivation for getting the mouse other than get the mouse. And even when he has the opportunity to kill the mouse, just like uh, Lee Evans character does. You know, when Lars and Ernie are there, they neither of them can actually kill the mouse. Right. They also set up Ernie and Lars. They, tr- I wonder if the again, this is just a byproduct of they just they they had to change things up. But they also set it up where like Ernie uh, and Lars don't get along in the beginning, like when he wouldn't visit his father. I get that they don't spend a lot of time, right? There, so yeah. and and I don't know. Maybe they didn't really give that relationship enough of enough scenes or enough moments in terms of either rectifying that or. Yeah. I think they didn't give enough rectif rectification Mm -hmm. because you got that they were alienated, but you never got that. They had a come together moment other than obviously money. I tell you, like the more we talk about this movie, the more like we're sitting here discussing it. I, I, the more I'm thinking that there must've been a lot of changes to the script. There must've been a lot of changes to the story as they went. I'm guessing they had a lot of budget. DreamWorks first big film. Yeah, I'm sure you had a lot of people hands in the bucket. And like we got to make sure things. this works. Yeah. This is what we maybe, want. Maybe maybe a family film, which is very much Spielberg's wheelhouse. And uh, what's his face? Uh, the other uh, Katzenberg. Katzenberg. Like they're that's their wheelhouse. So they like this has got to work. Yeah. 
I cannot have stolen this from Disney <laughs> for us to, to fail here. Well, it does work. It so. does. It's really good. It's really well done, really well shot. It shows what Gore Verbinski can do because this, I don't think this would have done as well with any other director. I think the practical effects they used to practical effects show what he can do. I also think the mouse POV scene shows a lot, goes a lot to what he can do in terms of oh, when it's in the back the of the walls. Yeah, I yeah. thought that was done really well. Very similar to uh, how in Bound with the Wachowskis, how they used that pin camera a lot and that little small camera that came to like, that yep. was kind of the big thing in Bound. That didn't make the Wachowskis, but... I kind of people are like, oh, I really like that shot. I think Gore Verbinski stuff in here in terms of what he was doing with the camera, I think that kind of helped him. Which you see a lot. Like as I'm watching, I see a lot of that in pirates, especially the stuff on the pirate ships and stuff yeah. like that. You can see how it translates well. Well, I mean, you can make a claim that pirates is the last good adventure series we talk about. I think that all the time. Yeah. Well, I can't think of anything since then. That's what I mean. This Even is, the newest also, Pirates movies can't be as But good. that's why I like The Lone Ranger because The Lone Ranger feels like an adventure. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think Gore Verbinski can do adventure. Sure. I think Cure for Wellness was a tough is like a horror drama a thriller kind of thing and it's long and it's okay. It's not. It's tough but if Verbinski comes, if whatever his next film is, uh, I, th- I if it's adventure, I'm highly interested in it because I really think he does adventure well. Sure. Do you think that you would? I mean, I think you could recommend this to kids now. Like, this is something that it, I think this because it takes place in like an unknown time frame. It gives it a timeless. timelessness. Yes. yes, I don't think this film loses anything by showing it to people. Like, you're not going to get somebody to be like, "Oh, this is so old." I don't think that you can get. You'll get that sense. No, I think it still looks really good. Um, especially like we watch this on Showtime. I think it it's cleaned up well. It doesn't mm-hmm. look old or grainy. And there are very few uses of CG. The cat looks terrible. <sighs> and the mouse at the end looks terrible. But I've watched, I've seen some Disney Plus stuff where the CG oh, isn't yeah. quite like There's pulled a, up either. That, Netflix stuff. Those are only like one or two moments we're talking in the film of, of, of that has a whole bunch of stuff that yeah, works. Yeah, it's like real animatronic or just playing with the camera like the quarter. Yeah. I feel it was an oversized quarter, like you said. Yeah, yeah, which is awesome. Like that that stuff is like, it still holds up because it's real, because it's there. Mm-hmm. It's almost the reason that, you know, I know everyone's going to kill me that George Lucas' <laughs> Star Wars, like the special editions I think live on because it cleans up some of the stuff that wouldn't have worked nowadays okay but so much of the old star wars still works because so much of the old star wars is still real it's tactile it's in that shot and you can't change that who's gonna kill you for that well the fact that i think the special editions are good because people like because because of the continue. whole han shot first stuff well i think all the people don't like the cgi shots and stuff oh, but i think whatever. that's why people can still watch it who are younger than us like i mean i don't care yeah <laughs> <laughs> so this movie is a hit why are we saying it's forgotten? I feel like people don't show it to anybody anymore. I feel mm. like I, I, you know, when my parents had cable, I would see it on TV quite often. It's clearly right now, at least as we record this, it's on Showtime. And also available on Hulu if you have Showtime through Hulu. But let's talk about that real quick before you get down that. Word. So <laughs> when you go to the Hulu page for for Showtime, okay, when you go there and you know how they always have that, they always have that little poster with the, with the description and everything. The mouse hunt picture on the left side is all white. Like it's blown out. <laughs> and the lettering that Hulu has decided to use or Showtime is all white. So you can't read it. <laughs> I, I sent the photo to Butler. I was going to read I'm like, oh, way to go, Hulu. Nice job. Like you, So it looks bad. I was wondering why you said that. I was like, why is he talking about, oh, wait, there's writing in there. I yeah. Can't even- <laughs> I'm like, 
I, I, I barely saw a watch movie. I was like, oh, okay, so I can watch it. I don't know what's happening up top, <laughs> but continue with your matter. <laughs> um, so it's on there, but I feel like people aren't suggesting this to people. I feel like maybe it's kind of gone down by the wayside. It's not Disney. It's it's DreamWorks, so maybe it's not in like a pantheon where it's constantly promoted with other stuff. But I think it's definitely worth watching. I think when you talk about Gore Verbinski films, you talk about pirates, obviously. And I think that you can show a mouse hunt and be like, this is what he did before pirates. And the practical stuff is really, really cool. And even maybe more practical than obviously more practical than pirates, too, for sure. Um, but like this is the stuff he does in the camera where it shows like how great he is at cinematography and using animatronics, which I'm sure he cut his teeth in the, the Budweiser frogs because they were all animatronic, too. And they also used a plethora of other animals in the swamp it was never just the budweiser frogs right um but i think a lot of that stuff is really cool really worth watching nathan lane is always an awesome watch i think he's a great comedian a great actor lee evans is a great job lee evans accent is really good which i should mention because he's british you can't see a hint to that i think he does a really good accent mm -hmm. and uh, like everybody's on point the mouse is really cool but i just think that nobody really comes back to it because it's a little darker. Uh, it's set around Christmas time, which kind of centers it around a certain period, even though they're mostly in that house. Maybe that hurts it a little bit. But I think it's mostly what came out like after before. And just the way it's kind of not necessarily. You're talking about in theater, what's coming out in theater. Yeah, it's not as kid friendly as it could be. Um, like, I'm surprised that you you liked it or you are OK with the. The kid aspect of it, because usually you talk about films. There's no kids in it, that though. That's, like, I think maybe that's part of it, too. There's that no you're kids more in okay it. with it because it's not kids. But, well, I, I don't. The problem is sometimes with like the reason why Home Alone works is because Macaulay Culkin is really good as, as Kevin. Sure. And the the kids are a little are, are somewhat genuine. Sometimes when kids are smarter than they're written, older than they are, sure. I think that it comes off badly and it comes off like you just get like, yeah, you just kind of like, all right, kids aren't like this. but. I, because there's no kids in this, you don't have that issue. Um, so yeah, no, I, I was fine with it. I also, while you were talking, I was I wasn't paying attention. No, I, <laughs> while you were talking, I was looking to see what had come out around it in terms of kids' films. We had talked about Home Alone three, which obviously didn't work, and I think people knew it didn't work. But so I went into November, and there's nothing in November except Anastasia, which wasn't huge. Which isn't, time, yeah, it's a, uh, it's not really. I mean, it it didn't really. I don't think Anastasia did as well. You also had Flubber, which was the Robin Williams Flubber. Mm, so Flubber, yeah, you know, maybe that, maybe that did well. That I, was I mean, definitely more kid friendly than Mouse Hunt and Super Yeah, Wayne. Flubber was the Thanksgiving film, and that did ninety two million total. So Mouse Hunt still outperformed that. So there really wasn't a huge kids film that, around yeah. this time. So. Um, so, so I think that's probably why it did business. And, you know, also there's a different, I mean, maybe thought process in the nineties than it is now where, when we talk about this, there's always a kid's film out. Even when, if there, if there isn't one for a while, it stays in the theater until another one Just comes. Just to have one in there. Yeah. Right. And in the summer, it's usually one kid's film a month, usually sometimes two, but there's usually one kid's film every once in a while that pops along. I don't know if that's probably not the same thought process back, back then. then. So I don't, I'm, I think that's probably why it did business, but I'm also very surprised that it didn't hold up. And maybe that's because it's a different time period, even though we talk about how timeless it is. Well, we talk, there's also like, we talk about streaming services all the time. Sure. Advertising different films. But back then Disney, you'd put into Disney VHS and they would have 
you know, here's what's coming out on, on VHS and have a whole oh, bunch of trailers right. for all these different things. And because this is DreamWorks, you don't have that kind of cross marketing with every VHS that you sell as well. You're right. And I think that hurts it and kind of helped definitely cement Disney as the VHS stop for kids. Yeah, I also think with streamers and with PVOD and VOD and a lot of these kids homes that come straight to, you know, like like that movie you went out with Luck or whatever that's oh, on Lucky Apple Plus. Just came out. Yeah. But still, but like the CB that just came out on Netflix, like there's movies that come out. But the problem is that, yes, kids may see those ads when they're watching their YouTube kids. They may pop on there and they may see them when they watch TV. Yes. Parents don't see though, because you don't, you're assuming that parents are on YouTube and your parents are doing it, but they don't see, it. you know, you're assuming the kids are going to tell their parents, Hey, and you have a lot of parents that don't know how to get to these movies. What do you mean? Look, what's that? Apple, Apple, what Apple plus Apple has their own service. I don't understand. I don't have that. Like it's yep. like you have that disconnect. So I think it's very difficult. I love the fact that a lot of stories are out there. I think I, there's, this is a different discussion, but I think there's way too much content out there, but I love the fact that it's available, Yeah. but getting parents to get it for their children is it's a disconnect. Easy, yeah. There's a disconnect there because there's some people don't have that, don't understand how to do it. So I, I think that it's kind of like, uh, it's good and bad. There's good and bad aspects to it. Yes, it's all there, but getting parents to understand how to get it in front of their kids a is harder. Exactly. You also the fact that this is on Showtime, yeah. which isn't necessarily known for kids stuff. True. What do you think Showtime? What's the first show you think of? Probably uh, Dexter, right? Retro Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> First thing I yeah. think of stuff like, show, like Dexter, Dexter stuff. yeah, like I don't billions. think about anything. Yeah, is that, is that billions of Showtime. Yeah, stars. Okay, but you don't think about their kids selection. You're right, movies. and they don't have a huge selection of kids films. Uh, the Showtime brand is. It's not that it's. It's not that they do good stuff. It's yeah. just their brand is not as noticeable as HBO. HBO's brand. HBO's brand is like, oh, HBO Sopranos, Game of Thrones. You know, Six Feet Under. Like they're like they're known for stuff. Showtime's brand, and I don't know why. It's just, it's they've got good stuff. It's just they're not as big as HBO's brand. They don't put out as much big stuff along with the critically acclaimed little stuff to kind of bounce I, off listen, of each other. But I like, I love Dexter. Sure, you know, I love Billions, and those are really solid shows. And and those are just two. But they don't have like a Sopranos or How to Train Your Dragon or no, How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> a, a Sopranos or Game of Thrones to back those up. I got you. So you're saying that they don't have like a really huge, huge one. Yeah. That's fair. But maybe that's their brand too. Maybe they want to do more smaller, stuff? smaller stories. And that's, that's fine. Cool. But you know, but like in terms of word of mouth and people knowing, yeah, I think their brand is far different than HBO. Yeah, so that's a good point. <laughs> Sweet. So where can they find us? You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all our other great podcasts and uh, web content we have for you guys there. And we said before, we're all over the uh, podcast platform. So give a like, rate, subscribe. All that stuff helps our podcast grow. And uh, join us on the social media. Let us know what you think of Mouse Hunt. Field actually liked this one, which I picked. And it's a kid's movie, which is shocking. I love it. It's great. Blow me. Yep. See, there you go. Uh, but I'm really glad he liked it. I want to know if you guys liked it. I was afraid that nobody else would like Mouse Hunt. I was afraid this is going to be a big, not just you, but I felt like no one else, like as we posted, it would be like Mouse Hunt. Why are you guys choosing this? Interesting. So I hope you guys like it. If you guys like it, let me know in the lobby. If you guys like it, group. we can fight. I mean, that can happen. <laughs> Roll up our sleeves. See you We're in the just time. joking. We don't want to fight people. Butler will, not me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too old to fight. I'm also eating a chocolate candy. I apologize. <laughs> Next week, 
We got another guest coming on. Actually, two. We got Dan and Chris from the podcast Film Trace. I don't know if you've heard us on that podcast. I was on there once before without Butler, and then me and Mike were on there together. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure it is out by now. Uh, but yeah, we're really excited about this because we, you know, we 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 had a great time on their podcast, and we definitely wanted to get them on ours. So that is next week, and we're doing the movie Role Models from 2008. Uh, they chose it, and they said be ready to defend it. So or they're going to be ready to defend it. So which which I was like, <laughs> I don't know why you think we're not like it. <laughs> um, but that's next week so until then uh, everyone have a great week I'm Mike Field I'm Mike Butler and this has been Forgotten Cinema Hi I'm Mike and I'm Elise host of Crack and Open with Mike and Elise a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every Friday, we choose a new craft beer from a different brewery and talk about the history of the beer, what's in it, how it was made, the history of the brewery, along with tasting notes and more fun facts. After that, come chill with us as we bring you the latest in pop culture news and reviews. So check out Crack and Win Open, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family.